0: So the Israelites have come a long way. First they weren't a people and and then God took them out. It had been a long time actually even before that when Abraham had, had passed through the land and saw the land and then he went to Egypt and then he went back. And he was in the land again, and, and the family grew in number, but then there came that famine that led them all back to Egypt again. Perhaps they wondered, when, when are we going to return to our land? When are we going to return the, to the land that was flowing with milk and honey, the land that God had promised to our forefathers in between that time, they had been slaves. They had crossed a sea on dry ground. They had been fed in the wilderness with, with manna and with quail every now and then. They had been given water when they, they didn't have any. First, the only thing they could find was bitter water, and God made that water able to be drunk, and, and, and they drank that. And then God made water come out of a rock. And now, they get on this edge of the desert, and they see a river, and they know beyond that river, there's a city. First, the river, the the Jordan River, God was going to use it as a reminder of His faithfulness to them. He was going to use it as a a reminder of the past. Their their leader was dead. Moses. The man who led them into the wilderness, out of Egypt. The man who spoke with God, and and he was even able to see the the back of God as, as Moses held him. The, the man who went, came down from the mountain and his face was glowing so much that he needed to wear a veil. Moses had this special relationship with God and Moses was gone. Now they have this, this new leader, Joshua, Well, Moses led them over the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, What's Joshua done? How how do they know they can they can trust Joshua and that God is is with Joshua? So God brings him to the edge of this desert. And tells Joshua how they're to to cross this desert. And it's supposed to be this almost parallel story. You know the Red Sea story. Moses raises his staff and and they walk through on dry ground. Now they come up to the Jordan River which is at flood stage. Which means it's wider than it usually is. and And it's flowing faster than it usually does. And God has a plan to show them that he is still with them. Even though their leader has changed. In an eerily similar way, the Lord tells His people to respond. This is what you need to do to, to get across this river. Take, take the priests. Have them step their feet into the water, the raging water, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which wouldn't be a light thing to carry, And what happens? Joshua gives them the go-ahead. This is what we're going to do. And they listen, just like that. They they follow him, and, and, and the priests grab the Ark of the Covenant. They set their feet into the Jordan River. And in a similar play on words, the water is stopped up. The water is stopped up from flowing and, and, and the water stops flowing downriver. And, and they're able to walk through on dry ground. God telling His people, even though you have changed leaders, I am still the same God who was back at the Red Sea and who took care of you then. And now, as you come through here, I will take care of you as well. You just need to remember that I'm faithful. The interesting thing about Israel at this point is there's only two people that had been on the other side of that river before. Caleb and their leader, Joshua. And the people, even though they maybe don't know what is to come have confidence in God to follow Joshua. God calls them all to move forward, to continue on. Everyone's got to be on board with what's going to be happening next because it's going to take all of Israel to trust in the power of God to follow Joshua just like they followed Moses before. But there needed to be one slight difference. When they found out about that city 40 some odd years earlier, the only two people that thought that God could do it was Caleb and Joshua. And so those were the only two people that were allowed to go. They needed to, to trust in God, and now Israel, they did. They crossed. So let's read part of this crossing story together. So when the people so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Erebah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite of Jericho the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Often I think leaders try to exalt themselves to show that they are worthy of what position they've they've called been called to but here you see kind of the exact opposite thing a few verses earlier as the lord is talking to Joshua the lord says that he is going to exalt him in front of all Israel the lord validating the new leader Of Joshua taking place of Moses. Though the story in the Jesus Storybook Bible is called the Warrior Leader, I don't know if that's necessarily what we see when the Lord validates his leadership here right away. It's not a battle that Joshua participates in first. But what it does do is it causes Joshua and the Israelites to remember and to trust in the Lord and remember that his way is oftentimes different. His way of crossing the Jordan probably would not have been my way of crossing the Jordan. I would have probably called up some engineers and said, hey, can we build a bridge? (laughs) Can we find some trees? Can we do something, right? And it was important for that to take place because what the Lord was going to do next when they got to that city was going to be something perhaps different. It might sound really different to us. Maybe it wasn't, though, so different to the Israelites. The city of Jericho was fortified. The city of Jericho had warriors. The city of Jericho was, was old and it had been built up and, and, and conquered but then built up again. And, and there's these enormous walls that keep the city safe. And not only that, was also a spring-fed city. They didn't have to go out of the city to get water, to get the necessities to sustain life. They could hold up in there forever, as long as they probably wanted. When Israel had first heard about this city, Moses sent out some spies to To check in on the city. Here's what they said when they came back. They told Moses, "When we came to the land which you sent us, it flows with milk and honey, and and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there." We alluded it to it earlier, 40 years earlier when God was trying to bring them to the promised land. they they didn't seem to have the trust in God that the people did 40 years later. I guess 40 years walking in the desert. 40 years of experiencing hardships and difficulties that the desert had. 40 years of, of walking. 40 years of living in tents. 40 years to reflect on how they didn't trust in God caused them to change their tune when things or turning around. And now you have this group of people, all the individuals who didn't believe before have, have since passed, but you have this one group of people that are believing in the Lord, that the Lord will provide for them, that the promise is still true, that they will come to occupy this land even though there's fortified cities that have been rebuilt, that there's warriors, that there's the descendants of Anak. Perhaps, though, it takes place different than we expect. Maybe you remember the vegetails show about this. You got the little peas that are up on top throwing slushies down on the Israelites walking around. I don't think it was that picture. But let's get an idea of what the Lord asked Joshua and the Israelites to do. The Lord said to Joshua, See, they've only crossed the Jordan at this point and they can see the city. But the Lord says this to Joshua. See, I have given Jericho into your hand. With its king and mighty men of valor. They're not even through the gates. They're not even through the walls. And the Lord tells them, I've given you the city. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Love a raise of hands. If you were going to attack a city, how many of you would walk around the walls? Peyton, thank you. One hand. Oh, oh two hands. Yep, there you go, right? I wouldn't have come up with this on my own. But the interesting thing, I, you know, I would have probably thought laying siege or something like that, but really they had everything they needed, right? Maybe warriors leading the fight instead of the priests? That might be my idea. That was not the way. God actually used a familiar military strategy with just a little bit of a twist. In that day, it was actually fairly common for, for invading armies to walk around the cities almost to say, hey, we're coming, almost to intimidate them, to show them the, the size of their army, to show what they were going to be up against. Oftentimes, though, they would, they would maybe shout battle cries and, and, and try to intimidate the people inside, by the noises that they were making, by the swords banging against whatever they happened to have. But that's not the way of the Lord. The twist that he gave was having the Ark of the Covenant in front. The Lord led them through All of the wilderness, the Lord led them through the Red Sea, the Lord led them through Jericho, the Lord led them out of Egypt. The Lord was the first one, and the Lord would be the first one into this battle as well. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant along, and the men following silently. Imagine that. You're inside a city that's using some type of war tactic that you're familiar, but it is dead silence. You see them march their God around the city and everyone is remaining quiet. Eerily quiet. They do it and they walk away and they go home. The next day comes. Their God leading them once again into battle, The army follows, silent, and they go home. For six days they do that, but on the seventh day they they walk around seven times. You know, it's almost like war strategy plus worship, you could say. Seven days, and the last day seven times, A, a ceremonial type number, the people of Israel following their God in in silence, knowing that he is the one who will give over the city, the people worshiping him, perhaps trusting in him, knowing that it is not their might that will give the battle, but it is the Lord who goes before them, and then they let loose. After the ram's horns, they, they shout. And the walls come tumbling down. Right the Song maybe you learned as a kid. And they devote everything to God. Nothing is supposed to become theirs. Everything is, is supposed to be given to God to devote their entire life, their entire conquest to the Lord. we think about this river following the way of the Lord and in the city following the way of the Lord means you listen to him even how crazy I guess it sounds that his way is different than the way that we would normally operate his way is different than what we would perhaps have expected and now You know, we cross rivers every day. We use bridges. There's not a lot of times where we probably have to break down any walls unless it's a small fence that's broken that we want to get rid of and and make something else. But even though there's not these physical barriers and obstacles which are keeping us from where God wants us to be, there are metaphorical ones. Obstacles that must be crossed and barriers and walls that must be broken down. I think the problem is we're a lot better at building them than breaking them down. We're, We're good at building walls in and around our own life. I wonder where we ourselves perhaps have built some walls up. Building walls of division between people. Building walls which separate us from other people. Walls of protection that cause other people to be unable to hear our true heart because we don't think that we can trust them with it, perhaps building up walls so we can have our own way, building up walls on the foundations of pride, and and building those walls with the stones of selfishness, and the cracks are filled in with the mortar of stubbornness. And all of these metaphorical walls in our life, they keep us stuck in our place. The walls keep us fearful about what's perhaps on the outside, what would happen if we we let it in. We're locked in place, perhaps even building up walls so much that we are trying to hide ourselves from the very God who wants to be with us, the God who's walking around those walls really just desiring to get in and to hear your heart and to mend your spirit. The walls keep us in bad, bad spots, too. They keep us in a place of addiction. The walls keep us in a place of addiction to work, where we never feel like we can, can put something down because we need to prove ourselves an addiction, too, to perhaps the, the, the perfect image or like a glittering image that you have of yourself that you don't want to let others in because you're fearful Well, what they would think if they found out who I actually am. Walls that are so worried about the perception and the approval of others that it locks you in place. Other addictions to addictions to pornography, addictions to alcohol, addictions to prescription drugs. Sometimes we, we think that these walls are there to protect us. And we, we lash out then when anyone tries to chip away at our foundations, to chip away at those walls, to, to get rid of that mortar, to pry their, themselves in, to, to find out what's actually on the inside of, of this person's life. And, and we use those walls to, to protect ourselves, to push others away, to keep them from, from knowing our struggles, and perhaps even using those walls to alienate those people so they don't try again. The walls, they're tougher to bring down than they are to put up. The reality is, like with the Israelites, the Israelites probably couldn't bring down those walls on their own. And we can't bring down our walls on our own either. If anything is going to happen to the walls that we've built up in our life, We have to surrender to the Lord's way. Here's the thing about the Lord's way. God didn't send Jesus down to say something like, I'm here to bring you salvation, but you're going to continually struggle with everything that you've ever dealt with before. You're going to continue to struggle with your old way of life. You're going to continue to have those same walls and those same difficulties. That's not not what he said. I think that's what the thief does because the thief comes to to kill and to steal and to destroy and probably build up walls in between people. But Jesus came instead to give life abundantly. Abundantly. to to break down barriers, to break down the dividing walls of hostility, says in Ephesians. No one expects the way of God to work, I don't think. No one expects that death would somehow lead its way to life. No one expects that somehow sacrifice, self-sacrifice, would lead its way to, to gain. But That's the way. That's the only way for those who are in Christ. To recognize that God has given you grace for what's ever inside of those walls. That that no matter what the struggle is, whether it's keeping others away from yourself so they don't know who you are, whatever that is, Christ has paid for it. When we surrender to God, In His way, He enters us in such a way that God doesn't see those things that want to make us put up walls. Instead, He sees the image of Christ on your life. A life that has been redeemed and saved. A life that He wants to live abundantly. Not a life it struggles with the same thing over and over. The thing about this way, though, is we need to be willing to let him in. We need to let God see us where we don't want others to see We need to let God see what we don't want others to see, to to give that over to him in devotion, to, to give up those struggles, those addictions, those hesitancies to let people in so that God can brick by brick, brick by stubborn brick, begin to remove those things that we try to resurrect and keep around our heart. Those walls of self-doubt, those walls of pride, so that the walls can come down. We can let others in. That We can let God's love in. that brick-by-brick addictions would be recognized and realized and we would allow others in to help us, to walk through them. No longer living for a specific moment or feeling, but instead living for Christ. When we we let Christ in brick-by-brick our life is given more joy and more fullness. Brick by brick, our, our life is given more purpose. Brick by brick, we realize the grace that was needed in our life needs to be extended to others who are building up the same type of walls that we did in our own life. We realize how much more we need Christ each and every day when we hand those walls over to Him and we're ready to experience His love in return. Let us pray. Lord, it's easy for us to even Ignore walls that we've built up in our lives. We somehow don't even see them. Things that keep us from letting people in. Areas where we try to hold back from you. But you're there. Faithful as always. Ready for us ready for us to to let you in. You already know the real us. And all we have to do is let you in to trust in you, to know that we have grace for what we have done. We pray that your spirit would make us aware of our walls. Pray that your spirit would, would cause those walls to be removed brick by brick, chisel hit by chisel hit, that we would experience a more full life in the process. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.